Just don't talk about things, okay? What's that mean, things? Things. What sort of things? You know what sort of things. Sex and that. <laughs> like I'm gonna say nice fish fingers. Excuse me while I shove them up my ass. And you would. From slightly unbalanced, we are still queer as folk. UK. I'm Patrick Randall, and I'm Matt Dominguez. Today we're talking about episode one of series two of Channel 4's Queer as Folk, and it's called Out of the Closet. First aired in the UK on 15th February 2000. That was 11 months after series one ended. Interestingly enough, the US version of the show premiered only 10 months later in December of 2000, which had to have meant that it would have been in production while series two aired. But some of the storylines from series two did show up in the American version. Oh, yeah, like the first season. <laughs> yeah, the entire first season. Yeah. Uh, Queerest Folk was originally only intended for eight episodes, but it was successful enough that Channel 4 had wanted a second series of 10 episodes, and Russell T. Davies uh, said no and only wanted to do two. And I think that was probably a really good move on his part because the show just didn't wear itself out. After three seasons, the U.S. show was really kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel for material, and it was never quite as good as the tight stories of the beginning. That's where we're, you you can tell that Patrick and I really started to just really go after the show. <laughs> I loved the U.S. version. Uh, I think and- we became very frank. <laughs> <laughs> about yes. how we felt about it. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. We we stopped pulling punch. Well, I think we pulled every punch, to be honest, uh, in in and how we felt about it. But this is something that I really love about British television as compared to U.S. television is that when the U.K. <laughs> is sort of like, well, we're good. Yeah, they'll just we're done. They'll just, there's, you know, there's no there's no contractual obligation to like spit out an extra two seasons and where you can then start to see where like the creators or the writers are just like, all right, we're phoning this shit in. And they're like they're throwing darts at the board to come up with storylines. You know, you can see where shows that have particularly long runs really start to show their wear and tear in U.S. television. Uh, I mean, I can say that I could probably count on one hand the amount of series that I U.S. series that I really follow through to the end. Friends, <laughs> your Fuck favorite that show. <laughs> I knew it. Fuck it. <laughs> Fuck it was only hard and sandpapery. That's how I feel about it. God, I hate that show. Um, Seinfeld loved. Never seen a people, single episode of Seinfeld. It is on Hulu now, so you should watch it. I tried but to. Well, yeah, you have to understand. It only gets really good. After the episode that's called The Chinese Restaurant, that's when the show understood what it was going to be. And from there, it only went up. And yes, some people have problems with the ending. I actually don't mind the finale of Seinfeld, but uh, you know, people have like their, their little bickering about it. I particularly enjoy it. The one that I started to watch was something called The Seinfeld Chronicles, which somebody said, no, don't watch that. And I'm like, well, it's oh, at the beginning. No. I have to start Yeah, somewhere. that's like... <laughs> Well, no, the Seinfeld Chronicles, that's like the beginning of the show. I got to the first commercial break and I was like, checked out. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's like season, it's season two where they truly understand the rhythm of what the show is supposed to be. Uh, And that's what I love about it. And like, this is my big, big issue between Friends and Seinfeld because they were both NBC big hit shows, you know, part of that like Thursday night lineup. Seinfeld has main characters that know they're terrible people and do terrible things and people call them out for it whereas friends they think they're just like oh, you know the best and like go fuck yourselves you're all a terrible i never saw friends so, either <laughs> you're fine i it's skipped like this seasons. entire genre of tv it's 10 seasons of you knew what was going to happen from the beginning and i just ugh. sort of like queer spoke us where we did yeah, 83 episodes and specials. We did a special for every season, too. Mm-hmm. Ouch. Let's talk about this episode. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I guess it's my line, isn't it? <laughs> I'll leave it in. <laughs> Out of the Closet was directed by Bangladeshi director Minhaj Huda. Uh, of course, he has Coronation Street cred. <laughs> which I love, uh, Coronation Street, Street Cred, get it, uh, where he directed 39 episodes, and he has also directed two TV movies about 
Harry and Megan. Uh, he had directed all of series two of Queer as Folk. Which, I mean, both uh, of them. It, yeah. <laughs> so in case listeners out there who haven't followed through on this, series two of Queer as Folk is two episodes. Here's the synopsis of Out of the Closet. Nathan is back from London and living with his now divorced mother. Janice Maloney is now cool with Nathan's sexuality. And they even share laughs over Nathan's campy boyfriend, Daz. <sighs> oh, I love that. <laughs> Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll get into it. Uh, Stuart and Vince start a threesome, but instead of cutting out the middleman, Vince cuts himself out, leaving the trick to Stuart. Later, at Vince's sister's wedding, they agree to share a hotel room with the intent of consummating their 16-year... <laughs> Let me say that again. I was about to say 16-year-old. <laughs> I'll leave it in. Work. <laughs> no, don't. Later, at Vince's sister's wedding, they agree to share a hotel room with the intent of consummating their 16-year fascination with each other. Once again, Vince pulls the plug on it. Alexander's father has a stroke, and he's summoned to the hospital by his mother, only to find out that she really wants him to sign documents disinheriting him from his wealthy father's estate. The first series really could have just ended with the last episode, the characters went on this full circle journey and Vince and Stewart end up right back where they started. But I think there's more to it than being a sad story of Vince never getting shagged by Stewart. I think it's I think it's totally fine the way that series one ended and it's fine that they never hooked up. I liked it. I, I could have been okay with the series ending right there. Yeah, we see growth in the characters. We I love that we get to see Nathan sort of go off and continue to j- discover himself and that uh, Vincent Stewart continue to have a sort of cat and mouse game of will they or won't they. You know, it's all, I thought this particular version of Chris Oak was always sort of meant to just be that slice of life. I think that's, what the title was kind of all about is just showing here's what some gay men like to live their life. Originally the series was called queer as fuck. I like that better. (laughs) Yeah. It's more to the point. Speaking of fucking, uh, this episode kicks off with a threesome attempt. Seeing you around. Are you two a couple or what? No, we go back years. We were in school. So is this what you do then? Threesomes. First time. At your age. First time together. Look, if you two want to shag, I'm not just an extra cock, if you know what I mean. First of all, their third was ridiculously hot. Matt, you complained in past episodes that the guys in this show don't measure up to your standards. Uh, This boy measured up to mine. How about you? I thought he was obnoxious. Like, I understand. I thought he was beautiful. It's like, you're fine. I'm talking about the personality wise, like when he like when he was like kissing Vince and he just went straight to, you know, Vince's junk and said nothing happening there. And I'm kind of like, OK, cool. Leave like oh. if you're not willing to like <laughs> if you're not willing to sort of like work to get into a place of like, let this be erotic in some way that then. Yeah, fuck off. Like, oh, no, ugh, I was fine with gross. that. No, I, I think if that was me and there was nothing going on downstairs, I'd be. Do you want to watch TV? Do you want to watch Friends? <laughs> right. Like, okay, that's that's a different story. Like, it would have been sexier if he's like, oh, no, I'll get you going. And then, like, he goes down on him or something. Like, enjoy it. <laughs> mm, yeah. He did kind of I go like, like that. <laughs> right, exactly. I'm, I kind of like to earn my reward. Well, this was uh, the most awkward threesome initiation ever. And uh, I've been there before, but... Oh, yes. You just got to throw yourself into it. You got to, like, give it all up and just go. Jump right in there. Now, my first threesome experience was with a couple. And I Oh, you were the guest star. Yes, I was was the guest star. And I have to admit, I was not as much of a fan of that version of a threesome as I was where it's like, hey, we're just kind of like three random dudes. (laughs) Random people at the bar. (laughs) Yeah, who just sort of like fell into it. And like there, there was like, there's almost like less expectation or like there's much more exploration because you don't know each other. Mm -hmm. So then you're kind of going on this journey all together. When it was with a couple, it was very much like they were dealing with their pleasure. And (laughs) I sort of really felt kind of like, I'm just in the way. (laughs) I'm going to leave. And then you fake the phone (laughs) call and you pick up the phone. Sorry, didn't switch it off. Hello? 
Oh my God. When did that happen? Gotta go. Oh, I loved Vince's awkwardness. <laughs> or his awkwardness and like, you know, he's trying to like scoot over a little closer as they were making out and like that sort of like pat, pat, pat on the hand, mm-hmm. like get some like he just like didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> I just I loved that. What I thought was interesting is that Stuart absolutely knew that Vince had faked that call. <laughs> he knew exactly that Vince was trying to make his exit. It's my neighbor. Someone's broken in downstairs. She thinks it's kids. Yeah, I'm coming now. I'll have to check the flat. Fuck off then. Oh, I don't think it was subtle at all, too. <laughs> oh, and uh, Stuart has moved to Canal Street to make things easier on his sex life, apparently. And I've, I thought about that and... I actually know people that have done that in Chicago that have moved to the gay district just to be closer to the action. And this was before Mm -hmm. uh, everybody got priced out of the area. And now it's in Chicago. Now it's mostly just an entertainment area. Not a whole lot of gay guys actually live there because it's ridiculously expensive now. Yeah. I, I think I lived out just outside of that particular neighborhood uh, for that reason. Like, I think I described it as I wanted to be close enough that I could walk, but also far enough away that I'm not bothered by it. So, <laughs> and like, and I kind of worked, but again, I, and I remember I lived with two other people in a much older apartment. It was overpriced and, and old amenities and, and crap like that. And I'm like, I'm glad I experienced it you know what seven years ago now uh and very happy not to do it again so hazel rolls up to the bathhouse on a motorbike i like how she's hanging out with stewart at the sauna only just kind of barely causing a ruckus like one guy said something when she came in but other than that everybody was just like cool with her just sitting there having a drink with stewart it was almost like i mean there, there is a uh somewhat similar moment in the U S version. I think when, uh, Deb goes into the bath. No, it's, I think, uh, it's Debbie and Justin's mother. Yes. Jennifer Taylor, who like, they go into like the bathhouse. You know what? Debbie's gone in a couple of times. Like one time when she was looking for that dumpster boy. Yes. Uh, huh. uh, but yeah, here I also, I have to admit, uh, when Hazel first came on the screen, I almost didn't recognize her. Yeah. She looked very old all of a sudden. She, yeah. She looked older and like the red hair. I was just like, I had to go on to IMDb and I'm like, is this the same Hazel? Like I was not <laughs> sure at first, you know? And then like, I, then I like, I focused again. I was like, okay, no, that, that, that is her. But, but yeah, like <laughs> the audacity for just rolling into the, <laughs> to the sauna as Stuart is having, I guess another threesome. And <laughs> he wasn't bothered. He found it kind of fun and cheeky. Uh, and yeah, she's just hanging out there. No big deal. Well, her presence there is to cajole Stuart into going to Vince's sister's wedding as Vince's plus one. Hazel Tyler and guest. Vincent Tyler and guest. Who's he going to take instead of you? No, no chance. Sister's wedding, though. You know what he's like in front of that lot. Yeah, I do. A twat. So go with him. It's a big do. Loads of people. You're not going to look like a couple. If that's what bothers you. They found Nathan. Nathan who? (laughs) That's not all I've been told. Three of you last night. Three of you left the club. You, Vince, and the shag, everyone's saying. So? Do us all a favour. Cut out the middleman. Vince is up for a promotion at work uh, against a straight chap named Graham who immediately I disliked. <laughs> uh, apparently the yeah. supermarket only promotes straight people though. And so Vince's boss sure is quite the twat with her little comment about every night being a party for gay guys in their late 20s. There's a memo on its way. Your interview's on the 14th. We've narrowed it down to two. Yourself and Graham. Marvelous news about the engagement. Oh, I was chuffed to bits. I thought the company could pay for drinks tonight. Make it a bit of a party. Mind you, it's a party every night for you lot. But she's kind of right. I was kind of like, and? Yeah. (laughs) I I miss going out four or five nights a week. (laughs) Yeah, when I could do it, it was great. When I was, well, yeah, when I I would say that it was the ages of about 22 to 27 
Mm-hmm. And that's pushing it. Yeah. I could go out on Mondays. I could go out on Saturdays. I could go out on Fridays. I could do it. I could do it and I would have no problem. Oh my God. When you're just saying that, I remembered all the nights. It's like Monday was dollar right? drink night. <laughs> and Wednesday was drag race like- at Roscoe's. Um, Monday, you could bop back and forth between there and sidetrack for musical Mondays for show tunes. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, Saturday, like Saturday nights, that's when you could go to the now defunct drag matinee at Berlin, you know, <laughs> Scandalous. and and, uh, and dance until, you know, four or five in the morning and not think anything of it. And the sun's coming up when you're leaving the bar. <laughs> right. I, I, I always wanted to stay out late enough to just justify me going to cheesies and then leaving. <laughs> uh, cheesies is a, uh, Next door to a a gay bar in Chicago, Cheesies is uh, what would you call it? A beyond a greasy spoon. I mean, it it it's in the name. It is all sorts of different kinds of grilled cheeses. Which let me tell you, when you are trash out of your mind at one in the morning, is the greatest thing ever. You just need more and, grease. <laughs> oh yeah, it sops it all up, and you're good to go. So Stewart's nephews appear at his new Canal Street place. Thomas, uh, his nephew, stumbles uh, up into Stuart's computer porn and then tries to extort money from him. It's good, this. I like big cocks, it, eh? Nan and Grandad don't know, do they? You're a puff and they don't know. 25 quid, I'm telling. And first of all, I'm thinking... Wow, that kid's like really industrious. He like gets onto the computer and within seconds he's found porn. As a result, Stuart dunks his head in the toilet <laughs> and the kid threatens him further. Yeah. This was a pretty quick scene, but it's a precursor to Stuart coming out to his parents later in the episode. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so everybody meets up at the union for drinks. Nathan appears, complete with a new haircut, looking good. And looking like he's in his 20s now. Like he went from being 15 to about 22. Right. And I was just like... <laughs> I was like, now I'm not creeped out by this situation. <laughs> now you're hot. Yeah, what's up? How you doing? There's something that confused me about this scene was Alexander was talking to somebody in the background, and Hazel seemed concerned about that, but I didn't recognize that woman that had pulled Alexander away, and it took me a few minutes before I realized that Alexander was getting the news that his dad had had a stroke, because Hazel brings that up a few seconds later, but I, I just thought that was weird staging and weird order in the script, because all of a sudden Alexander is having a deep, serious discussion with somebody that we have never met. This, The way this news is delivered, this is what confused me, so I'm glad you brought this up. I was like piecing together as we're getting, because it wasn't until after I think Vince mentions it uh, to Stuart, like what happened that, oh, is Alexander, is this like a nurse that had been taking care of Alexander's father? So has Alexander's father actually already been ill and it's gotten worse? Like that's how I, because I literally I was like, how does she have any type of, I guess, relation to Alexander? Like, I don't see her as being like a, family member so i had assumed that she was more caretaker and right, found okay. him and, and that's how they talked but like that's me doing a lot of jumping through hoops to like fill in what i thought were some blanks because at first yeah because then i'm like you know hazel's looking concerned and she's asking for money from vince and i'm like what is i kind of like how it played out though because it got my attention enough that i was hyper intrigued by it and i really wanted to solve that puzzle and when i got the payoff mm-hmm. then i was excited like, ah, okay. Aha, uh-huh. yes. So Hazel uh, borrows money from Vince, and I think this is something new. How much do you need? 100 quid. Okay. In the last series, we never got an inkling that Hazel was at all skint, but this is starting to build up to the urgency for Vince getting the promotion at work. But I thought it was kind of like a weird introduction of Hazel needing 100 pounds from Vince. Like, what? (laughs) How come? What happened? (laughs) I think think it may be just her, like, the generosity that she has. You know, yes, she has one border, but then I guess, to me, it's not like she's now taking care of Alexander. She's got Alexander and Bernard. Right, and it just, it didn't seem like Alexander was actually paying to board there. And then there was also the fact that she was taking care of Nathan, I'm sure free of charge. So I think the generosity in her mind had finally 
started to burn into her pocketbook. Yeah, I think Janice Maloney came over and tucked some money into her brassiere at one point in series one. Oh. Uh, so anyway, um, uh, back at the union, Nathan and Daz are doing a little bit of Stuart watching. Uh, Daz is the barman, and apparently he hooked up with Stuart. Had a great time Saturday. You missed it. Guess who I shot? Yeah? He's good. What time do you finish? Why? Why do you think? I rather loved how Nathan just played it off with, he's good. <laughs> then he immediately yeah, hits they- up Daz for a late night romp of his own. Well, no, it sounded like then no, he like tried to like, oh, that's what that was. I, okay, so. Yeah, that's where he asked what he was doing or what time he got off. Okay, so I totally misread that. What'd <laughs> you read it as? Turning, oh, I thought he was turning it into a competition between him and Daz when he said like, hey, how late did you go? I thought he was asking how late did you go and was trying to see. I know, if, he asked what time he gets he, off at. <laughs> yeah, I totally misread that and thought it was. Him trying to see if he had sex with Stuart longer than Daz did to, like, win. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure so that like Nathan that. wanted to do some topping that night. <laughs> I I mean, clearly when he was in London, he found a gym because he bulked up. And <laughs> I... Well, Charlie yes, Hunnam's can... 20, 20 or 21 by this point. So he's, he's filling out. <laughs> yeah. Whew. So Stuart catches this going on. Uh, then he notices that the, the hot third from the other night with Vince is there too. And he realizes that he's not getting any younger with all the kids in the bar. Yeah. I mean, I guess once, once you had sex with a 15 year old, the, <laughs> there's really no going back Stuart. Uh, yeah. Uh, if you want to hear our comments about, uh, Nathan being 15, uh, replay episode one, we had a kind of a lengthy discussion about the morals around that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this wedding, uh, this is another situation where I just have to ask you, Matt, why is Alexander there? That's been my running thing where he just shows up at funerals, weddings, anything with a buffet. <laughs> it's like he's a party favor. What? You know, and apparently he's Hazel's plus one for the wedding, which, but does she really I'm, need one? <laughs> no, because she could have asked Vince and then they could have been the plus one to each other. Done. Or what, Bernard. What? Bernard dropped them off. So seriously i mean i'm sure alexander has no problem being the life of the party like maybe that's oh, yeah yeah he's funny though he's hilarious <laughs> oh yeah i mean maybe that maybe that's why you know if you're gonna liven things up at a straight wedding might as well you know bring um the the faggiest of the faggiest to to get it going um can we talk about the bride his uh, uh oh his yeah sister? yes please she was like I describe her as like pre-Lena Dunham. It was just far too much. <laughs> Screaming for her husband, like wherever he is. Like I was like, like I, I get it, you're excited and everything, but wow, let's bring it down. I like that she was kind of the exact opposite of Vince. Vince and his half-sister <laughs> yes. just being the exact opposite. She's loud, she's boisterous, she's all over the place, and Vince is quiet, reserved, semi-in-the-closet sort of telling everybody that Stuart's his boyfriend, but not really. <laughs> so kind of like that comparison of the mm. the two. Vince and his dad. I like this scene with Vince talking to his dad and having a pint out on the porch. The part that I was a little curious about, though, he was lying to his dad. I'm buying a house, looking in Didsbury. It's smart. It's nice. If you need any help. Now, I've paid all this for Juliet. I could chip in. I mean, you're not, uh, well, you're never going to marry, so... Uh, yeah, but Dad, she deserves it. She's done so well. Yes, but we've always had to push her. You, you've made your own way. Adrian's nice. Yes, he's a good enough lad. <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. Of course, uh, we might get a house together, because Stuart's loaded. He's got tons of money. Together? We've talked about it. Judith always said the two of you were... I said they're just friends. She said, don't be so daft. <laughs> we'll see. Might change my mind. Well, uh, like I said, if you need any help. He's rich. Oh. Cheers, then. Here's to you. To both of you. Cheers. <laughs> he is lying about the job being his for the take-in. He was buying a house. Then he talked about getting a house with his boyfriend, Stuart. 
I didn't quite connect why he was lying to his dad that way. And then I started to think, okay, he's not so much lying to his dad as he's projecting his own desired reality out into the world with Stuart. Yeah. Like, uh, I feel like there's a, there is sometimes this desire for men to want to show their father that they've been successful. Like, how are you going to, like, how do you do that? And it's not like he wanted to like show, you know, he's, he's at his half sister's wedding. Like his sister has now gotten married. She's now gotten the house. Like everything is going great for her. And he's middle management at a supermarket. Like it doesn't, it kind of pales in comparison. So like, what do you, you know, he's trying to bolster it up so that he can kind of show like, look, I'm, I'm a success too. Right in the middle of this, Alexander uh, appears and he made a, like a very off color joke. Yeah. Try that. It's brandy, gin, and vodka. It's called a Jill Dando. One shot goes straight to your head. <laughs> he calls it a Jill Dando, a BBC presenter who was shot in the head on her street. And that was about the same time. That that was, that was a little weird. Oh, that... Yeah, Jill Dando is uh, a real person who was murdered, like, that year that this was airing. It's like, wow, that's, that's gutsy. Folk, stick around, got more to come. school this scene was really something christian hobbs was pretty much all but flirting with nathan been avoiding me no still going down canal street what if i am some right twice down there yeah it's all right though it's not bad got myself this boyfriend yeah yeah he's all right yeah Where's he from? Long sight. Oh yeah? It's a bit stupid. You'll do. You missed your chance. What's that mean? Nothing. What the fuck does that mean? You're dead. And in the beginning of the scene, I became convinced that Christian is gay. But then Nathan overplays his hand a bit and he says that Christian missed his chance. That was him, I think. I, I agree. Like, that played his hand very strongly because I could have gone in his favor, though. That could have been like, you know, what if he like steps up to him about it and they go in, like, I don't know, fuck in the locker room. You know? Yeah. Did you think that Christian Hobbs is in fact gay? Yes. Yeah, me too. And it's simply 100%. the act of having things said out loud about it that sort of triggers his rage. But yes, mm-hmm. I was really disappointed in that. I like you. I wanted, <laughs> I wanted another romp. <laughs> right, especially after the fact that he had called him out in this gay bar about what he had done, you know, at school. Then it's and knowing that he, you know, withheld the the handy information, uh, that for them to then, you know meet up back at school and actually be very cordial with each other. I was expecting, yeah, that it would be uh let's, let's continue what we started kind of thing. Right. Right. Give me another load in my hand. Mm. <laughs> so uh, contrasting with this scene, Nathan brings Daz home for dinner. And I love that Nathan is prepping Daz for what not to say in front of his mom. Just don't talk about things. Okay. What's that mean? Things. Things. What sort of things? You know what sort of things? Sex and that. <laughs> like I'm going to say nice fish fingers, excuse me while I shove them up my ass. And you would. I will then. Just don't. God, no wonder your dad left home. God. <laughs> His performance okay, at the I dinner was so, table was amazing. <laughs> I was like, well, okay. I was also like highly confused because I... I thought he was just like saying like, Daz, can you like pretend to be my boyfriend or something? Because... I, when did they become a couple? And I, I was so confused by it. Time is a little so bit compressed here. Okay. But he Maybe, had just okay. told Christian Hobbs that he has a boyfriend who's kind of stupid. 
that's well, Daz. That's the thing. Like that's the thing. <laughs> well, sure, but like that's the thing. I thought he was just sort of stepping up to to Christian and saying that like, yeah, I I have a boyfriend now, and it was like Daz having to like sort of fill that role, but it wasn't like a real thing. Uh, no, it's real. <laughs> oh, God, it reminds me of my first uh, quote unquote boyfriend. Well, poor Nathan is just mortified by Daz's behavior at the dinner table. I used to love history, Tudors and Stuarts, because I'm doing Mardi Gras this year. I'm on a float. I'm a Rianne Swinette. Like, like the meat cake. It's going to be fab. That's not Tudors and Stuarts. Big frocks, though. Same difference. We did fancy dress. I was Britney Spears. I've done a Hollywood show bar. I had this wig all in bunches, just like the video. They love me. Because they love me in the show bar. Julia tried to get me back because I broke a stool. But all the staff had a petition. They love me. Why'd you bring him home in the first place? If you know who this guy is, you know how he's going to act. Exactly. When you ask your mom if you think your boyfriend is a squat, that's kind of like a big red flag that you kind of know what this is all about. <laughs> and Janice even says it. She's like, I'm sorry. I'm the one that's supposed to be criticizing. <laughs> right. What's going on? But also the fact that Daz and Helen, his sister, like hit it off. Like she's down with the whole, like him dressing in drag and everything. And Britney I was Spears. Ready. Yeah. Well, I mean, come on. Free uh, Britney. So, <laughs> so Stuart and Adrian, uh, back at the wedding, uh, they're at the bar. Adrian's the bridegroom that Stuart had bet Vince a thousand quid that he could bang. I thought this was hilarious. Adrian made that kind of innocent intention comment of, ah, what a waste that Vince is gay. Because that's kind of a loaded compliment. Yeah. Like how unfortunate? Unfortunate for the ladies, right? It, right, but right. that's the type of compliment that comes out in such a backhanded way that you can't help but just be kind of offended by it. Yeah. This gave us some important info, though. Vince is sort of playing house with Stuart here. And letting mm -hmm. everyone think that they're a couple. You told him, you told every single one of them, boyfriends. Have not, it's just because we're always together. Well, they don't think we're boyfriends by mistake. You know, you let them think it and you love it. Yeah, I, I love that story sort of doesn't take it. It's like, you're loving the fact that you can say this. And I'm like, ooh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the girls are fighting like Jesus. Uh, there's a scene with Stuart and Hazel outside that I thought was great. And first of all, uh, Crazy by Patsy Cline was just the perfect music here. There's a lot of good music moments. I think uh, I, I think we we passed over. But the fact that uh, Rick Astley was playing at one point oh, yeah, at the yeah. bar. <laughs> I just loved that. Yeah, there were some good music choices happening. Stuart made a really valid point to Hazel. Look at you, 14 years old, hormones all over. You'd have shagged a letterbox. But not him. Nope. You say my son's ugly? <laughs> You've got to fancy him. Never mind love. Love can fuck off. If you fancy him... There's blood. There's a hard on. If you just, if you just love him, he clearly loves Vince, but he's not sure if he fancies him. And then Stuart demonstrates on Hazel to prove his point. He grabs Hazel's hand, puts it on his junk, similar to the way that the threesome lad did at the beginning of the episode, and said that there's nothing going on down there. Smack out of the graduate, Hazel takes a drag off her cigarettes and sticks her tongue in Stuart's throat, stops the kiss, and then exhales. That's that what great. a move. <laughs> I love that scene. <laughs> <laughs> so that's enough to uh, convince Stuart to really take a chance on Vince and see what happens. So he goes in to uh, ask Vince to dance and did you think that Vince looks super cute this entire episode? Like when he is sitting there all by himself, kind of like hmm, at the table, I was like, oh, Vince. I've already made my feelings known that I think Vince is already adorable. And I actually found this dance really, really cute and very genuine and almost romantic for Stuart. <laughs> for mm. being, it being Stuart. Yeah, I found the whole thing just my heart fluttered a little. I am like so into Vince. Every time I hear Craig Kelly doing bumpers on ITV, I think it's Vince. Brand new drama, Monroe, coming soon to ITV One. That voice is just so distinctive and so memorable. Mm -hmm. The next time you watch Titanic, you'll hear his one line and you'll look up and you'll, Vince? Yes. 
is what <laughs> Wait, okay, if you can remind me, in Titanic, is he in the crow's nest? He came up and gave uh, the captain a note. Excuse me, sir, another ice warning. This one's from the Norden. Thank you, Spock. That was his line. Okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll watch all two hours and 57 minutes of Titanic <laughs> to find him. So Vince and Stuart are dancing, and Stuart is checking just to see what effect Vince might be having on himself. And Stuart asked Vince to spend the night. And he seemed to have every intention of banging him. Oh, my God. No, when he, like, holds his hand out to to grab Vince and hold him up the stairs, yeah, that uh, they, they were going to, I don't think they were going to fuck. They were going to make love. Hazel looked terrified, though. That look on her face as they went up the stairs was just like genuine concern. Right. And I like that Alexander points it out. You know, it's only been 16 years. Right. Right. Uh, and I mean, it's it's a solid point of like, okay, this is 16 years of buildup. Is this either actually going to happen? Is it going to live up to it? Are they going to be disappointed? Is it actually not going to happen? Like what, like I'm sure there were a thousand scenarios running in her head. I can think of a thousand ways that, Vince's heart is going to be broken. Yeah, and that starts to happen where we're seeing the undressing montage. And that's that's kind of a good filmmaking gimmick where you have two people that are kind of shy and they're taking their clothes off in front of each other for the first time. And then we have a, a callback to Phil. You know what Phil used to say? That you were saving me for your old age. Assuming you'd want me. Assuming that, yeah. Like one day you'd be past it. And you'd go down Canal Street and they'd all be kids, laughing at the sad old man. And I'd be there waiting, apparently. A long time to wait. <laughs> You'll be 30 soon. Ancient. So the day I shag you, I'm old. According to Phil. Well, what the fuck did he know about anything anyway? And then Vince calls off this hookup, but he's never been happier. He falls asleep smiling with his eyes wide open as Stuart's asleep next to him because nothing has changed for him. He can still mm -hmm. love Stuart without risking anything, right? It's so strange because I think we as humans build up what sex might mean, uh, especially when it's with someone that, oh, you either harbor feelings for or have always harbored feelings for. Like it gets built so much in our heads that the slightest thing can throw it off. And then that relationship is now irreparably changed, you know? So it's, it's nice that at least for him, he's like, okay, I know the physical part didn't happen, but the emotional part is still intact. I know this is a comedy drama show, but surely after 16 years of knowing each other, circumstances would have happened where they hooked up by now. Right. I mean, I've hooked up with, Almost all of my close friends, at least to some degree. Hold on, I'm working through my list. <laughs> uh, actually, no, I have not. Uh, there's probably, I think people who became my close friends, there may have been like, that's how we initially met. And then from there stayed friends, but never something where it's like, we're friends. We've hooked up. We're still friends. We've hooked up. We're still friends. Like that, that list is much smaller. Uh, so uh, Stuart's outing at his parents' house with his uh, nephews and his sister and his parents. This seemed planned on Stuart's part. He wanted to head Thomas off at the pass, I think. Mm -hmm. After Thomas started with a few jabs, Stuart launches into what has to be the most amazing and terrifying coming out moment ever in full view of his young nephews. Stuart, come give me a hand with these shells, will you? I can't. Of course you can. I just need a hand. Come on. We don't do hammers. And nails or saws. We do joints and screws, but that's different. Who does? Queers. Well, I go and get some sandwiches. This kitchen really needs sorting out. Because I'm queer. I'm gay. I'm homosexual. I'm a puff. I'm a puffter. I'm a punce. I'm a bum boy, baddy boy, backside artist, bugger. I'm bent. I am that arse bandit. I lift those shirts. I'm a faggot-ass, fudge-packing, shit-stabbing uphill gardener. I dine at the downstairs restaurant. I dance at the other end of the ballroom. I'm Moses and the parting of the red cheeks. I fuck, and I'm fucked. I suck, and I'm sucked. I rim them and wank them, and every single man's had the fucking time of his life. 
and I'm not a pervert. If there's one twisted bastard in this family, it's this little blackmailer here. So, congratulations, Thomas. I've just officially outed you. That was one hell of a speech. Like, this is one of those moments where I'm like, okay, the writers are going to kind of have their moment. I thought it was just so expertly delivered. Like, not one skipped beat of it that I'm like, let them have it. <laughs> um, I have to I have to ask, what was your favorite? Oh, I like the, the one, um, I dine at the downstairs restaurant. <laughs> I like that one for some reason. <laughs> Yo, mine was mine was uh, Moses and the Parting of the Red Cheeks. <laughs> I thought that was a little campy. Yeah, that's I, something I Daz would say. <laughs> I enjoyed it. I thought it was very like to bring to bring the religion into something that is always used against. It, All right, I was yeah. a big fan of it. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Uh, I I agree though. Yeah, yeah. Like he knew that this kid was going to just. I, I also think the wedding had to play a part in him saying, "I'm gonna fucking say it." It always seemed like he was he wasn't even really delivering it to his parents. He was giving it to his nephew. <laughs> yeah, and I I got to agree with his parents. That sort of talk need not be had in front of kids, right? I mean, especially the younger one when they cut to him and he's holding like a plastic pirate sword. I was like, "Oh god, what did that kid just hear?" He heard it all. He grew up. But also like the the nephew that's like wanting to accuse him Thomas. and uh, yeah Thomas like and the fact that he was able to get onto the computer and oh you know launch this website also to use it as blackmail to get money and then just like say that he knows that his mom's uh his mom is like struggling with the the custody battle like the Thomas is much more conniving than you know being a child you're saying he had it coming yeah even though Stuart was an idiot for not locking his damn computer yeah, right <laughs> so after this everyone's meeting up on Canal Street I just love how they just meet up on the street uh, every day you know Vince is waiting Stuart shows up that happened a couple times in this episode I also mm -hmm. noticed that it never rains in Manchester apparently. <laughs> Every time they're outside, it's like a beautiful <laughs> night. Yes, lucky bastards. <laughs> In fact, it rains a lot. Uh, so Daz and Nathan are sitting at a little cafe right there, and Daz is getting really boyfriendy with Nathan, which causes him to just dump Daz right on the spot and go join Vince and Stewart. Wait a minute. Any minute now. Here it is. Best ass on planet Earth. He was looking at me. That name for your foster. You'll be lucky. Yeah. I might be, yeah. Where are we going? I don't know about you. I'm going after Nick Tandy. What do you mean? It's not like we're exclusive or anything. It's not like we're anything. Since when? I'm 16 next week. I'm getting old. I can't waste time hanging around. Look at that arse. It's new. Well, you can fuck off then. That's exactly what I'm doing. I just loved how seamlessly Nathan fit right in with Stuart and Vince. There was a very clear difference between Nathan and Daz and Nathan with the grown-ups. And that's that's what I like to see. Yeah. Him. First of all, Nick Tandy has the best ass on planet Earth. What ass? <laughs> yeah, I, I thought so. When they showed him, I was like, there is nothing there. So you can all hold off. But well, yeah, was baggy I love clothes in the, in the late 90s. So not an excuse and i <laughs> love but i know i love the fact that nathan then like blew past him and joined vincent stewart and yeah just fit right in and looking all broad-shouldered and buff and they welcomed Ooh. him it, it yeah, was good to was, see him i like that yeah there was definitely no um no animosity there like he literally just felt like one of the group again I think one of the funnier scenes was when all the mothers met up at Hazel's. I love this scene. The funny bits about anal sex had me rolling with laughter. Try not to think about the arse thing and you'll be fine. People tend not to like the arse thing. Well, I'm not trying it again. The arse thing. <laughs> <laughs> that is Maloney! Not with Roy! Oh yes, Mr. High and Mighty. <laughs> Screamed the place down. I told the neighbours the cat had fallen off the landing and broke his neck. <laughs> oh my god. I loved the fact that they were just shooting the shit. 
these three moms talking about their gay sons, you know, how to deal with it, what it was like when they realized it. But the, yeah, then to have Janice say she tried the, the ass thing. Yeah. I was <laughs> screaming. It was so funny. Well, Janice also brings up that Stuart uh, was the one that she has to thank for Nathan coming out. And Hazel immediately sensed that this was going in a bad direction. And then Nathan just, uh, apropos, walks in. Even though Hazel is trying to usher Nathan away, Janice is just holding the floor and tells the story that he's about to turn 16. And that 30-year-old Stuart, whose mother is right there, had banged him. Perfectly normal. Yeah, as soon as as I said that, you know, it's his birthday, his 16th, and her face just, you see all the color just wash away. I felt really bad for Stuart's mother, though. She's got a lot to process here. She came to Hazel for help. She didn't Mm -hmm. come off as a villain, really. His dad didn't either. They're just trying to comprehend everything. They're a little perturbed that he got so graphic in front of an eight-year-old. Yeah, and this is like the same thing with Nathan's dad, where it's like, no, it's not the gay thing that's bothering them. It's like the age thing that's the problem. Yeah. And so, yeah, like I, I like that they, like, she knows to come to Hazel to be like, I know it's been years, but like, how do I deal with this? Yeah, and Janice Maloney just kind of puts her into an entirely different world until she's in tears in her car, and I just sort of felt really bad for her. Yeah. Uh, this scene with Stuart and his dad at the end was really well staged with baby Alfred. It was forcing his father to realize that Stuart really isn't any different than anybody else. When in doubt, always use the grandchild as a prop also. And that seemed to really sell that moment to his his father as they were telling him, like, no, you can't come to the family gathering this weekend. We see more of a real Alfred than we ever did of a Gus. Uh, the interesting thing of this Alfred is it wasn't an Alfred. It was a female baby. Oh, I just saw that in the credits. <laughs> thought I'd oh mention it. <laughs> and so uh, the last runner of the night, uh, we see Alexander at the hospital. Uh, after seeing his own relationship with his parents going sideways, Stuart just picked up Alexander and demands that he goes to see his father, who, uh, remember, he had a stroke and he's in hospital. Come to find out that his mother is there and has the paperwork ready to disinherit him because he's gay. So at first I was thinking, this runner is really getting to me. It's like, there's a lot of Alexander stories that kind of get to me. Like, Mm -hmm. why are you here? What what are you doing? Shut up. Stop being so loud. That type of thing. (laughs) But then I loved how Stuart freaked out Alexander's mother with his fingers. Oh my God. Okay. And also the way it was shot, it was very much like, it played like a gritty, like thriller in a way. Like, I feel like I've seen that shot in, like, Snatch or, or like, you know, <laughs> one of those movies where I'm like, this feels dangerous almost. Yeah, totally. This is kind of the beginning of Unhinged Stuart, a story that I don't really care for quite as much in the overall series. I think series one was perfect. And I think series two started to have a little bit of flaws in it. It was clear mm-hmm. that Channel 4 wanted to make some money off of this. It was clear that Russell T. Davies wasn't entirely as invested in it as he was in series one. So why not make Stewart into a maniac that blows up cars as we see in the trailer? Yes. Oh my God. I'm at first like, cause I thought that, uh, you know, the episode was over and I wanted to turn it off before they gave me like the preview. And then that happened. I'm like, well, no, now I got to play through this. Right. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so episode two is going to have some stuff. happen. <laughs> Okay, uh, let's wrap this episode up. Tops and bottoms. Uh, what was your top, Matt? My top, other than uh, Nathan, uh, would be, uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, like when he showed up, and it was like especially noticeable when he was doing his strut down Canal Street with Stuart, with, uh, Stuart and Vince. I'm like, you have filled out, Nathan. What's up? Um, <laughs> I'll I meet you say, at the union. Uh, <laughs> Oh, my God. Mimi in the alley. Jesus. Uh, um, My other top would be Stuart's coming out speech. It was almost poetic the way he spilled it out and came up with every little name and insult and dig and everything that a gay man has ever been called. Letting it all just roll off his tongue. I I was super like I felt it. I felt it to my core. My top, I'd have to say, was that first threesome attempt. Uh, The show had been away (laughs) for nearly a year. 
I thought that was a great way to set up these last two episodes and really bring everything back into focus for us. Just seeing that the unrequited love is still there and they're trying to make sense of it and they're trying to do something about it. And so that sets the stage for this episode and the next one. Good storytelling. What was your bottom? I kind of struggled with this. Um, I don't know. I don't know what my bottom could possibly be. Uh, other than, I guess, maybe... Uh, I'll, you know what, I'll say, I'll say Daz. <laughs> like, Daz's purpose here. Also, there was no Donna. You know what? No, screw that. My bottom is that there's no Donna. We find out that she's like paid the price for going off to London too, but, um, but there was no Donna. Yeah, she was credited in the episode, Donna. but she wasn't here. I don't know yeah. what happened to her. Yeah, uh, so my bottom is no Donna. So my bottom, uh, I didn't have any. Uh, once again, I just can find no fault with this episode and mm. I just wouldn't change a thing. Um, have you noticed that I really like this show, by the way? <laughs> I mean, after doing 83 episodes of the U.S. version, I this is just candy. I love it. Uh, this has been episode one of series two, and it was called Out of the Closet. Next time on Still Queer's Folk, Stuart is sick of Manchester and decides to move to London. And because the whole world revolves around him, it interrupts everyone else's lives. Stuart's anger puts him on the wrong side of the law. Vince is up for a promotion at work, and one of Nathan's teachers seems to side with Nathan's bullies. Oh, big fucking surprise. You can find our U.S. series of Still Queerest Folk at stillqueerestfolk.com and on all of your favorite podcast apps. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Patrick Randall. And I'm Matt Dominguez. Still Queerest Folk is a production of Slightly Unbalanced. Matt Dominguez wrote and performed the show with me tonight. Still Quarters Folk was made with love in Chicago. <laughs>